I think hard work and putting the time in once you figure out the path is very important, but you don't want to waste time working on the wrong thing. But once you figure out the path that you're on, you got to just keep working, keep your nose to the grindstone. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Angelo Christian. Angelo is a real estate lender who has been in the business for over 20 years, and today he's joining us to share his pre-Great Recession perspective and compare and contrast that to today. We're going to go through his whole story of coming from a very humble background, getting into real estate lending somewhat accidentally a bit before the Great Recession, and then it all came falling apart in the Great Recession for real estate lenders, but he put it back together. He really persevered and came through to today where he's been incredibly successful as a real estate lender, and he's sharing his perspective. What has changed since the Great Recession, since before the Great Recession, particularly as it pertains to the lending market and so much more. We also dig into how real estate investors can best work with lenders and get lenders like Angelo onto their team so that they can make informed and really well-formulated offers on properties so that they know what they're getting into and have incorporated their financing into their offers. So much knowledge in this one. It's great to have his long-term perspective on what has changed since before the Great Recession, particularly in the lending market, what his thoughts are on what's going on today in real estate and the lending market, and what might happen in the future. We get into that a little bit as well. Great conversation. You're going to learn a ton. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Angelo Christian. Let's go. Angelo, thanks so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background in the banking industry, can you tell us a little bit about where you come from and what you're doing now? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really love it. It was awesome. Taylor, I appreciate you for uh, thinking of me. I'm very excited. So I got into the, the mortgage business about 20 years ago, not by design, actually by mistake. So my actual background was actually quite humbling. I grew up very poor in the city of Houston. My, my mother was a waitress. My father uh, was a struggling entrepreneur. And they never owned a home and we lived in hotels and lived in our car, paycheck to paycheck, didn't know really where our future was going to go. And so I dropped out of school when I was in the sixth grade and yeah, I had to, I was working three jobs. My father abandoned us and I had to take care of my four brothers and sisters. And so I didn't really know what direction I was going to go with my life. And my favorite movie was always Rocky. And so, and one night I was walking home, but our car just started repossessed. I was a line cook at a restaurant here in Houston, an Italian restaurant. And the song, No Easy Way Out from Rocky Four came on, one of my favorite songs. And it was just like a, an epiphany, a lightning bolt went off and I needed to change my life and do something. At that time, I was also 400 pounds. I was extremely overweight. And so I decided it was like a catalyst for me to change my life and do something bigger, do something greater. 
So I went back to school, got my education in finance, economics. And then I had a friend that I hadn't seen in a very long time. He was in the mortgage business. I hadn't seen him over three years. And he was doing incredible. This is before the subprime crash, which was like in 2003, 2004, when everybody was in the mortgage industry making big money. And I ran into him and, and uh, saw, hey, Frankie, what are you doing, man? He said, man, I'm in the mortgage business. And he had just purchased a high rise at that time. He had brand new Mercedes and Escalade and just living the high life. I said, you know, he's selling mortgages. And I said, so show me what that is. So I basically met with him. I learned the mortgage business. And I cut my teeth on it working for a subprime lender. And at that time, this is right whenever the crash happened. And then all of a sudden, the apocalypse hits. The bank I was looking for, they shut down. And I started my own brokerage. This is in 2007. So, and then, so I built my company, I built my team. And today, I never look back. I never gave, I never quit. A lot of people got out of the industry. I stayed in it. I'm one of those guys that you grow where you're planting. So I'd stay with it. I grew the business. And today we're a nationwide lender and we're helping hundreds of thousands of people doing tens of millions of dollars a month in business. And so we love it. I love the business. I'm very passionate. And to me, it's not really about the money. It's about helping people, helping that investor to get the capital, helping that homeowner get a loan, taking their life to the next level. And my whole thing is about serving. And if you can serve the client, take care of them, get them what they need, then you'll get, you'll be rewarded. You'll get paid too. So, and that's, that's my story. And if anyone's out there watching, I always tell people never give up. Believe, I know it's a cliche here all the time, never believe in your dreams, but if you're really committed to something and you want to make it happen, you can make it happen. I love that. I love the story and the message and what you were able to, to achieve and overcome. I'd like to dig into your experience kind of leading up to and through the Great Recession because you were in an industry that was pretty heavily impacted by the recession and also a ton of regulatory changes. And folks are also going to be curious to compare that situation to where we are today and where we're going to be in maybe a year or two. But let's rewind the clock and focus on your experience around the Great Recession and finding yourself without a job and then starting your own company right there is kind of the crash was getting started. Yeah. So at that time before the recession happened, I mean, pretty much anybody who get a loan that had a pulse. I mean, it was a very aggressive market. I mean, the, the product, 100% financing, no documentation loan. And by that time, when I got into the industry, that was kind of the, that was the norm. So I didn't know anybody, right? I got, I, when I came into the business, it was subprime. So not like it is today where that's taboo or that's illegal. I mean, that was what everybody was doing. You had all of the banks coming into the broker's offices trying to sell these products. And they would give kickers or boosters to those loan officers to push these products. And at that time, there was no license. There was no NMLS. So there wasn't a licensing requirement. You could get all these people on the street selling loans, and then you could charge customers fees that were, I mean, what, I mean, I mean, for example, today, everything's regulated and the fees that you charge back then, you could charge somebody five points and, and no one would even bat an eye. But so, so at that time, it was the Wild West. And then all of a sudden, overnight, I mean, we woke up the next day, came to work and like option one mortgage shut down, new century shut down. I mean, there are so many of the big banks that we sold loans to that have multi-billion dollar valuations on the stock market that just evaporated. But we had people that were in the middle of closing on their homes that they rescinded the wire and the, and the, and the loan and said, that, no, we can't fund this deal. We just shut down our operation, right? So it was very scary, but... I will say that at that time, I was very young. 
and uh, I had a lot of money saved up. So, and I loved the business and I didn't know what else I was going to do. I had this full team with me from the, the mortgage company that I worked for. And inherently, my, I had someone else that was, I was a top producer at the mortgage company. I didn't really proclaim myself as the leader, but everyone kind of looked up to me because I closed the most loans in the office. So they said, well, hey, well, we're just going to come with you and go to work. I was like, I'm just going to do my own thing. I, I didn't know what else to do. So, and I was, my father, even though he was a struggling entrepreneur, he always worked for himself and he kind of raised us to be that way to always work for ourselves and never work for somebody else. That was in my mind always growing up as a kid that you got to go and do your own deal, your own thing. So I started the company in 2007 and about half the people that were there with me at AmeriQuest, the mortgage company I worked for that shut down, they came with me. And so, and that's how we started the company. And it was an adjustment because I had never done an FHA loan before. I didn't even know what FHA was. And all of a sudden, because Subprime had melted down, we had to get it conventional, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac products, FHA, USDA, VA loans. And we had to basically pivot and shift to learn these products. And, and that's where I think that has happened a lot in this industry and a lot of industries that in the end, you can get rid of the game, but we just keep pivoting and shifting and you just keep riding the wave. Like right now, a lot of what's in the last decade, DSCR investor loans have really emerged a lot. Non-QM has turned into a multi-billion dollar market. 10 years ago, no one even knew what non-QM was. So I think that investors come out with new products, more capital comes into the market and, and the lenders just keep shifting and pivoting. That's how, that's what you have to do to survive. That's what we've done all of this time. So, but yeah, man, it was it back then it was, there was some times when I wasn't sure what was going to happen, but I just kept working. The biggest thing is I think hard work and putting the time in once you figure out the path is very important, but you don't want to waste time working on the wrong thing. But once you figure out the path that you're on, you got to just keep working, keep your nose to the grindstone. And that's how we survive. We A lot of mortgage companies right now are shutting down because of lack of liquidity. There's a lot of issues with that right now in the market. And so you have to be very smart and you can't get over leveraged, overextended. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that answers your question or. No, there's so much there. I, I'm, I'm very curious about what it was like starting the company in 2007, because the real estate market really continued to trend downward for a few years after that and didn't turn around for a while. And you said you have had money saved up, which is great, but not a lot of folks have enough cash in the bank to foot the bill for a business for three to four years. So how long did it take in that 07 timeframe to get the ball rolling enough so that the business was really yeah, working? That's a great question. So the thing about a mortgage company, how it's a lot different than like a development company or a company that has a lot of property, plan, equipment, most of the business is just commissions, mm -hmm. right? Because there's not, you're, you're selling loans. So a lot of the of the bulk of the cost is in paying the processors, the loan officers. So essentially they're variable costs. There's a, they're small fixed cost, like for office and stuff like that. There isn't a lot of cost in running a mortgage business, which is good. And what happened, you're right, their property values were massively depressed at that time, but you saw a ton of investors swooping in. And I don't know if you remember, like FHA came out with the FHA 100% financing to purchase HUD REOs. There's a lot of different products that lenders were coming out with at that time. 
to help to kind of spur them. Also, interest rates were very low. I mean, the average rate at the time was like 3%. So you had it after the crash happened. And so when the recession hit, so it induced a lot of investment and people coming into the market. And we just dived in heavily into government lending. And so that's where we really learned a lot about FHA because FHA has very flexible credit requirements and you could help consumers to get loans. So we really focused on that because they have the most liberal underwriting and with very good terms. And we just really expanded our FHA because subprime was gone. So it took us about a good four years from 2007 to 2011 to really get sustainable to where we had solid cash flows. We had a lead because one of my big principles is having at least three years of reserves in the bank for the business. So it took us a good solid four years to do that. But we ran very lean. We had a, we have a lot of we have fixed costs and we just were very conservative. So, and I lived conservatively at that time just to get through it. So, and we just really plowed into what products were really working at the time, which was VA, veterans home mortgages, FHA, USDA. And we really became experts in that space. And fourthly, it got us to the percent. Wow. Wow. So yeah, that's quite a while to get those reserves and get the financials to the position that you wanted. And that's a lot of reserves to have in the bank. Variable costs or no, that's just quite a lot to, to have in the bank or for any business. So now let's pivot a bit and, and compare that time to where we stand today, particularly from a, a real estate lending perspective. You said liquidities It's just not as available as maybe it was a few years ago when the Fed was really pumping the cash out. But generally speaking, what is your perspective on the real estate lending environment today, mid-2023? Yeah, we're actively lending. We're a nationwide lender. So we're in the front lines every day doing deals. So we see what's happening with the banks, what happened with Signature Bank and all these other lenders that are running into liquidity problems and what the Fed's doing. So I certainly don't think it's 2008. I mean, the underwriting is way different in loans. There, there isn't this abundant, no documentation, high leverage product out there. There are non fuem loans that have low leverage with less documentation, but those loans are actually performing very well. But I am concerned about kind of the, the direction of what's going on right now in the economy with the Federal Reserve and the markets. A lot of banks especially in the commercial credit markets have tightened up a lot. There's been large haircuts to LTVs, loan values. Some banks are even lending right now, commercial lending. And in the residential space, a lot of the portfolio products that were funded on banks' balance sheets, they're either nixing that or they're getting rid of a lot of their portfolio products and really trying to focus on just doing products that they can sell off into the secondary market. So usually when that happens, my concern, it's a precursor to something else. Because I don't know if you remember back in like 2008, first yield curve went inverted. Next thing happens, there's banks going out of business. The next thing, there's insurance companies going out of business. The next thing, the world's the sky's falling. And then property values go increase by 40%. And then, so I do see some right on the wall, some concerns. And I think that we were in a situation where we had pent up demand for real estate and prices go way over exasperated and there had to be somewhat of a healthy pullback. I mean, I mean, probably you and you've seen, and I've seen this, I mean, last two years, some real estate has skyrocketed, like for example, in Austin, Texas, 20% a year, it's not healthy and there has to be some pullback. But at the same time, if you see a lot of, if you start to see a lot of banks go out of business, it's kind of scary because you don't know how deep it's going to go next, right? 
So I think that there could be a mild recession. And uh, I don't think it's going to be anything like 2008, but I am a little bit concerned. I don't know when it's going to happen or if it's going to be anything major, but you know, there, I think you definitely need to keep your eyes open and be very, I mean, cautiously optimistic because at the same time where there is recessions, there's also great opportunities, right? So, I mean, I, we talked about all, we, I'm, I'm in Houston, so Austin's a very hot market for us. And that city, and, and so is Dallas and Houston, they've grown amazingly, but We've seen a 5% haircut just in Austin in the last six months on their real estate prices. So if those prices tend downward, there could be opportunities because Austin is still long-term as a gray area. I'm just using Austin. I mean, Tampa's another gray market. Oklahoma City is a gray market. I think Oklahoma City, like, can, so, but I think that, yeah, you just have to be careful. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's, there is some concern when you start to see banks shutting down because you don't know what's going to happen next. How many of these banks have trouble loans or underwater loans on their balance sheet? What's going to, who all is going to come out of the woodwork next in the next six months, right? So these are things that I do have concerns about. Yeah. Yeah. All great points. And I always try to bear the perspective in mind personally that we don't know what's going to happen next, but we've never known what's going to happen next. We just know what happened in hindsight. But back then we didn't know what was going to, you didn't know what was going to happen in 2000. No, I do. And you forged ahead anyway at that time. So now I'd like to pivot a bit into guidance or dare I say advice you might have for investors out there who aren't sure of the best way to build a relationship with or to work with a lender so that they're you're essentially a, a part of their team in a way, but they're also not kind of abusing the relationship and asking you for too much. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're a real estate investor, you got to have a great attorney. <laughs> you got to have a great CPA, a great lender in your pocket. You, I mean, it's about building a solid team. If you're trying to scale a business, whatever. So a lender for life, a doctor for life, these type of things, you have to have them in your toolbox because, and that's one thing that's so cool about our company. You know, we want to be your one-stop shop for lending. Whether you're buying in Hawaii, you construct the loan, you need a HELOC loan, you need a land loan, working with a direct lender that has a vast portfolio of product is critical because you don't want to have to go to 10 lenders and try to do different deals and keep reapplying, keep having your credit ran, resubmit financials in each lender. You just want to work with one guy that really knows the stuff really well. Like you want to be with the best attorney, you want to get the best CPA, the best doctor. Find the best lender. I'm not saying that's me, but you can call me if you want to because I love to help you. But just find somebody that's really good that you trust that knows the business because a lot of people sadly in this space don't understand the business very well. And so they get someone frontline that was a loan officer just started three weeks ago and he's taking applications and he doesn't know how to structure deal. Deal structuring is the art of the business because you get people that have so many complicated situations or they have various K-1 tax returns or they got this, they got that. And you need to work with someone that really knows deal making. And so I think it's, I think it's priced. So how about like, like what's the best way or the, the optimal way to start bringing you into a deal, into the conversation about a deal or checking on current rates? Like how would you recommend that folks kind of work that conversation as they're looking at a deal that they're thinking about either putting an offer on or they already have under contract and they're thinking about closing. Where do you kind of like to fall into that? Yeah. I, I mean, so usually people, they'll, what happens is, well, either 
call or text their office and then they'll submit us their, their pitch deck or their executive summary. I like to get it away before they to the office. I want to know what they're thinking about. They look at the NOI, what's the cap rate, what's the location, what's the DSCR, whatever, they, whatever they're looking at buying up. If it needs rehab, what's the ARB? So, and yeah, definitely before they go to, because if they're already under contract, you're kind of, you're kind of back What if you didn't get enough time for closing? You give due diligence, financing contingency appraisal. I mean, there's so many investors, sadly, they go into a deal. They don't have appraisal contingencies that are financing contingency. And they, they don't even know what that is. And they're just going to contract, putting a bonus money. And they have, they're just, they saw something on TV that was doing flips. And so we really have to, I like to get into the front line. Let's talk about it. Understand what product we need to get into. What do the terms look like? Do you even, do you like that interest rate? Or are you going to pay that payment? Can you come to that? Can you come to the table with this cash close? So get all that flushed out and then go but then go under contract. So you, so the, so you as the consumer or the investor have the right expectations about what you're getting into, because what you don't want to have is that you go under contract and I tell you, well, look, your cash to close is 200 grand and you thought you're going to put 10,000 in. And so when you thought the rate was six and the rate's nine, there, there has to be, so we need to get all that done up front. That way you go into this with the right expectations. Absolutely. Dig the well before you're thirsty. Yeah. Build your lender relationship early. I love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com Scroll down to the Stessa logo and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Angelo, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Sure. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Let's see. Best investment I ever made investing, well, in my company and my team. I mean, that's given me the highest returns. I mean, deciding to... When I got out of school to start my business, I think investing, if you have an idea for something, you need to go for it, man. Just like Jeff Bezos did with Amazon, instead of staying on Wall Street, you have something that you want to do, don't settle just to pay the bills. I think if you have an idea for a business, you need to invest in yourself and, and build it and do it. I love it. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah. So there was a time in my life where in addition to doing mortgage, when I got into trading very heavily and I would manage the hedge, the hedging for our mortgage company. And, and so I was trading options and futures and I didn't know how lethal and how powerful those markets are. And it taught me a very good lesson. Let's just say that there was a few nights I didn't sleep. So that goes back to, you really have to know what you're doing or shadow with an expert that you can sit alongside. And I didn't really have that. I made some bad decisions. Painful. Well, <laughs> but, but <laughs> necessary. 
to learn. Absolutely. And hopefully we can learn lessons without too big of an impact and take that forward. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Yeah, that's a good one. When I first started the company, I didn't really understand the value of people. And so when, when I first started the business, I had a lot of turnover, had a lot of issues with leadership, delegating, and really to make anything grow and to expand it right, of any vast scale, you need people to do that and to execute and carry out. And so I think something that's very important if you're going to build a business is really focus in on your leadership skills and be able to inspire your team. Because at the end of the day, if you are trying to grow a business, you can't be there for every single thing. And you're going to have to rely on building a very strong culture. That team is going to execute on your will without even seeing that. Or are they going to pick up that trash when you're not looking? Are they going to be able to send that email uh, without even knowing about it? And that's really a, a very powerful thing. And also with that, taking care of you. You can't be cheap and focus on the cost so much for focus on the long-term value. And so really taking care of your team, I think is extremely important. And then also, I think with that on the customer side is where I failed from the beginning. I really didn't pay attention to the customer feedback. And so, and Bill Gates said this best that he's, he learned the best from his most upset customer. And so, and I, I took that to heart when I learned that because you really do learn valuable information. Your customers will keep you on your toes. And if you listen to them and you get the feedback and that's how you make a sharper business. In the beginning, I rejected what my customers told me. No, you're wrong. I'm right. And that doesn't work. But you have from because they're in the end, that you're getting the money from them. So you need to listen to that and say, okay, well, these people are telling you something. Take that feedback to enhance and optimize your business. So those are, obviously technology is another very important thing. We're using AI more than we've ever, 10 years ago, we didn't even know what AI was. And now we're investing heavily into that. So I think technology, people, understanding your customer are, are three of the most important things for us and what's helped us to really take our business to the next level. Awesome. Well, thank you once again so much for joining us today, sharing all of this knowledge. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that. Where can they track you? Yeah, down? So you can obviously, we can call or text us. We're open seven days a week, 832-431-6331. We have a YouTube channel. We have a podcast on there. We'd love to have you on our show too. So it's uh, Angelo Christian. And then our website, official Angelo Christian, you can check us out there too. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. To, to everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.